podcast on the Whitechapel murders. This is episode 17, The Pupils of the Abyss. I'm Jonathan Mengus, coming to you from Topeka, Kansas. Joining the show today is Paul Begg from Maidenstone, Kent in the UK, and Robert McLaughlin in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. Our special guest is LaVon Tal. Professor Tal just completed teaching a semester-long seminar course on the Whitechapel murders at the University of Tulsa in Oklahoma in the United States. He manages two blogs on the case and is interested in many aspects of the Victorian period besides the crimes of Jack the Ripper, and we'll discuss these things and more on today's show. Thank you, Professor Tal, for joining us today. Thank you. Uh, first, uh, please let us know a little bit about yourself and how you became interested in this time period and the murders of Jack the Ripper. Well, I'm a, a graduate student at the University of Tulsa, but I'm finishing my PhD, hopefully this year. Um, and I really got interested as either barely a teenager, um, reading a lot of horror and science fiction. I got into Robert Bloch and read um, Yours Truly, Jack the Ripper. And I read, around the same time, a true crime book with D.B. Cooper and Lizzie Borden, and there was Jack the Ripper. I had no idea this was a real person. So um, once that was evident, though, I read everything I could of, of, since the age of 13, I guess. Um, but um, it was more the, the background, the cobblestone streets, the gaslight, the handsome cabs, um, the Sherlock Holmes type. Um, atmosphere that really got me interested in the Victorian era in specifically. So that's why I really got into the literature, but I always had an affinity and read as much as I could going along about the case. And your background's in English, so um, right. I assume you've read a lot of uh, Victorian British literature and such that kind of they feed off of each other, you know, some of the nonfiction and, 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 and some of the literature of the time period as well. Exactly, and, and um, the nonfiction really helps with uh, understanding, and that's, that's what I'm interested in with the English literature, the underlying currents, the agendas of the writers, um, the social aspects, you know, things like the Newgate novels, um, Silver Fork novels, things like that that were more cultural criticism than anything else. Right. And um, how did uh, teaching this class on the Ripper murders come about? Well, every advanced graduate student has the opportunity to um, volunteer to propose, I guess, a class that uh, mostly tenured faculty are the only ones that can teach what they call first seminar classes. Uh, everybody has to take a composition class, English composition, but then above that, you have um, the opportunity to uh, take what they call a first seminar that is interdisciplinary. The f it doesn't have to be specifically history or sociology or whatever. Um, but as I said, mostly tenured faculty can teach it. But they do choose, I think, three or four graduate students from the school who, with their proposals who um, will be able to teach that class. And you can make it just about on anything you want, and the various colleges choose which ones that they think will be interesting or viable or get the students involved, and, and mine was chosen, I, I proposed on, um, it was called Jack the Ripper's London, and I've heard people say that just on the title alone, I think I got in, but. 
Um, uh, Levon, it's uh, it's Robert. Um, uh, how many students uh, applied for this, and, and was there a limit on on the class size for it? There was. We um, under special circumstances, we had more one more student allowed, so that that brought us to eighteen. They usually cap it at seventeen, but I know for a fact there were. Um, there was a waiting list, and just from the people who I'd had in classes before who wanted in, there were at least 40. So we could have done, you know, two sections of it if we wanted to. Um, was there any kind of like a parental advisory, for lack of a better term? I mean, some of the material that you may want to present in a classroom setting is, uh, you know, pretty shocking. On the... Um, Description of the class that went out in the catalog, I did say at the bottom that this will include um, morgue photos and and things like that. And yeah, and that was a worry for the first couple of classes. Um, I made it a point to talk about, you know, we're going to be looking at things, and I want you to look at the books that you purchased for this class to understand that. But it never it never seemed to be a problem for people. Maybe it's CSI and the rest of those shows, though. Right, and uh, what were the the books and and the reading material that you used for the course? Um, I used the definitive history, Paul Bagged. I, I made that required as well as the A to Z. I couldn't make that required because it's just well, everyone knows. I mean, it's there's not a new enough edition. Our bookstore had issues, which I don't understand. I can find 50 copies right now if I wanted to, but they couldn't seem to find that many. So I made that recommended, but everybody wound up getting a copy somewhere. Um, I, the People of the Abyss was, a, um, was required as well, and the Philip Sugden's book. Those were the required ones, and then um, the rest were materials like d the documentaries I showed on the diary, the newest one on the hunt for Jack the Ripper, the um, we watched from hell and time after time. Um, well, I wanted to do the lodger, but it just it became too unwieldy. I didn't want to get into the fictional aspect because I think it can do a whole class on just fiction and Jack the Ripper. So, um, but those were the big ones. And. Um do you think that uh, you made some uh, ripperologists out of some of your students, or um, what? What? What is? What's the uh, end result of, of the students' interest in the case? I think so. Um, there were two that I know definitely were heavily involved with uh, the case before the class, and were were just ecstatic that there was such a class. But the rest of them, yeah, of course, it was hit and miss. But I do think from some of the comments on the blogs and some of the comments I got from them, um, it, w my agenda, and this is kind of what they said, was that the context of the case uh, was um, something that they weren't familiar with, and it made them more interested in the time period and how Jack fit in there, which, as I said, that was my agenda. I loved how they... They're sort of divorced from reality. Of course, I blame Hollywood and that, but they s assumed everybody looked like somebody in a Jane Austen novel, right? And everybody conflates, or at least the students here were, were conflating um, Elizabethan and, and uh, Renaissance and, and uh, Romantic era 
and the Reformation and all that together. They just assumed everybody walked around in frilly dresses and went to parties and danced, <laughs> goofy dances. And and I, one student actually said it was like the, the wool was pulled over her eyes and she wasn't aware of the, when we started looking at the, the pictures from the people of the abyss, how horrible it was. So um, that, and I, that's what I'm most proud of. And uh, what what was required of the students, like as far as tests, essays, things like that? What coursework did they have to fulfill? In the, in the first seminar, all we had to do was writing. It's just a writing intensive course. Um, so I had them write a uh, movie review on From Hell, a movie review on Time After Time, a um, a victim essay. And then the suspect essay and the final one were sort of um, conflated. I put those both together. And the other writing was uh, participating in the blog. I made them tell me, um, I asked just several discussion questions. What did you know about the Victorian era before this class started? What did you know about Jack the Ripper before the class started? Um, and then basically they would give a paragraph synopsis of the suspect and the victim as well outside of the papers and then their final. Uh, you mentioned uh, your students' general unfamiliarity with the outcast London uh, the late Victorian period. Um, how much of the social and political I mean, y you mentioned that you're, you assigned uh, Paul Begg's definitive history as opposed to to the facts, so I imagine you, you um, got into some of the political and social history that was going on in London at the time. Right, I, I used the first two weeks, and I could see, of course, some glazed looks and um, people wanting to get straight into the, the murders, but I used the first couple of weeks to talk about um, everything that sort of brought... Oh, the elements that, that, that came together to, to create something like Jack the Ripper and, and its explosion. Because I said, you can't really just look at this as a, as a case. Um, we've had so many um, killers since then that have you know, obliterated whatever number of victims that you want to as ascribe to Jack and, um, and in more heinous ways as well. Um, and so why is this popular? And I said it was the context we talked about the reform acts, the various reform acts that gave more people, or men actually, the vote, um, the uh, Married Women's Property Acts, the um, um, Factory Acts, that they all sort of led to um, Britain taking more and more of a look, a look at itself um, in the, the twilight of the, of the empire, and that everything sort of led up to um, Jack the Ripper as well. In 1870, the, the Compulsory Elementary um, Act, which um, by, I, would, I would assume 1888 would have a payoff and more literate people and more people interested in the cases and, of course, the newspapers benefiting from the um, eradication of the tax on paper. Everybody can get into the business now. And, of course, they want to sell those papers, so this case was just made perfect for it so and i said all these factors together kind of um the unease the uncertainty of where britain was going the rise of the united states and germany all these things sort of and the the influx of um immigrants um from not only the empire but also from the pogroms of poland and russia 
into um, the East End. I said it was almost like the perfect conflagration. Um, Paul Begg in Kent, you have any comments so far? Yes, I mean, I, I, what, what you're just saying, I was just listening intently. What, about what age are the students? I didn't, don't think we, you mentioned that. We had, um, it was a mix of, uh, you can take it any time, but people try to get their um, second semester. So it's, it's 18 and 19, that was about the average. Oh, good. So that, that's, because uh, I did a talk um, for some school children uh, over here. And uh, it's interesting when you're talking about, about the victim pictures. Um, these children, I was deliberately trying to, to, to not get, let these kids uh, see the pictures. <coughs> and, I'd, and I'd got everything set up behind, you know, for project, projecting pictures on the screen. And it got halfway through the break, and these kids were not really terribly interested in the subject. They didn't know anything about it. They didn't really want to be there. Um, and uh, it, the only reason that they'd come along to this event was because they thought it was double... Uh, that the alternative was going to be double maths or something. So coming and listening to some <laughs> elderly fat guy about Jack the Ripper was a good choice, you know. But... Um, they saw the picture of Mary Kelly in, in a copy of my book, which I'd got open in front of me uh, during the break. And all of a sudden, these kids' attitudes changed to, to the whole subject. And they started talking about it in a surprisingly intelligent way, because they looked at this picture of Mary Kelly, and they, they all said the, the one thing that I'd been trying to convey, that this was, this was not just a normal murder. This was, this was not something that you do... Uh, as part of a domestic squabble, you know, you, don't, you people have done some appalling things when they've killed somebody during a domestic, but sitting down and hacking somebody to death in the way that uh, Jack the Ripper did there uh, and, um, isn't normal. And they, I, I thought that was fascinating afterwards, and the rest of the, 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 the final half hour or whatever it is of the talk was, uh, was extremely good. The interac interaction between myself and the and the kids, I, I came away feeling was was very good. Yeah, you know, and I think that that having those other books as as background, they could look through them and and I of course that that first picture that the the one um, of Mary Kelly uh, is shocks anyone, even you know no matter what. Um, in these days of Hostel and all those kinds of movies, that the the fact that it doesn't even look real. Um, I think really interested them, and they, and of course, just like you said, it's it's it wasn't normal. It wasn't um, just born out of the. Everybody talks about how violent the East End was at the time, but more than domestic. Well, even today, you're you're talking in anywhere, you, the domestic scenes are going to be um, the the place where most violence occurs. Most people are killed by you know people they know. And so this this aberration, you know, as I said, fo really helped focus the students on the case. And from that, I could use that to, to talk more about um, contextual matters. In uh, in the Ripper f uh, in the Ripper Field, uh, Levon, uh, uh, those of us uh, who are part of it, we're cor we're constantly correcting each other's works, and and sometimes they're common mistakes, and other times it's just mere semantics, but. Uh, when you're going over the essays of your students, um, um, how was it? Like, you know, how, did, how how could you grade them more when so many facts and, and things are in dispute? Right. Um, and I, 
I really wanted to focus more on on organization and um, just grading it like an English paper. Of course, the the facts are are um, are going to be important, just like any other citation. But I saw it as an opportunity. We, as I said, yeah, these students are eighteen and nineteen. Maybe most had never, barely, just in passing, heard of Jack the Ripper. So um, to see it as just a teaching moment where. Instead of just saying that this is all wrong or you can't just say that, I, I, I wanted them to use those weasel words where they'd say could have been or, or was thought to and things like that. And if they didn't, um, just let them know, yeah, that um, these are not, you can't just come out and say that. But it also hopefully would lead them to reading more um, and uh, doing their own investigation on it rather than just relying um, it, on something that's that's out of a book because I said this is a very obviously fluid case we're still talking about it so um, the more evidence uh, just don't rely on something that you may have read in Daniel Farson back then um, and then find out you know that it's been definitively disproved up to now so it, without getting too much into yeah specifically how I graded this I just uh, would point that out more than anything did you find your students um, utilizing other sources besides what you had required them or recommended them to read? Yeah, um, I mentioned Casebook, and then I saw a lot of people would use it. Of course, it's it's um, it's available. It's it's um, fantastic, and, and um, it's the organized organized in a way that that it, there were they were um, able to find things easily. So we, we talked about, um, and that was an opportunity to talk about citation sources. You know, this is a little more English side again, but, and finding things on the web is, is um, always hit and miss. So I wanted them to use mostly print sources, but um, in a case like that, that, that was no problem. So, but they would use um, pictures from you know Google, you can find those easily as well. I didn't find many who strayed into personal websites, and and I didn't even tell them about my own. Um, I don't know if they ever even found it. But uh, other than that, um, I yeah I, I didn't see anybody who was using um, a personal website where the facts may be really in dispute. Um, but I, I'm. I mean, casebook um, it should uh, be used by students with a warning that sometimes the reception that um, that students get when they're crun it's crunch time for their essay is you know leaves much to be desired. Uh, but um, I was kind of referring more toward other uh, book sources like uh, like Evans and Ganey's First American uh, Serial Killer Revealed or The Lodger, as it's called in the UK, of the book on Tumble Tea. Or some of like R. Michael Gordon's books that discuss George Chapman as a suspect, right? Um, well, are those yeah, and available at, at the university's library. Were students able to use some of those sources? They they use them. They're not available at the library. They're available through me. I I brought in my stack, a hundred and so. Um, once we got to where we were specifically going over the suspects, and they had to build their case. Um, for their final paper, I, I let them borrow um, the books on on uh, Barry, on uh, yeah Cornwell's book. Um, the uh, I them 
diary. Um, somebody did use the the Wallace book for for a Lewis Carroll um, things like that, which says, yeah, of course, yeah, you would tell them, you know, um, be careful. But <laughs> but yeah, and anything they needed, I I pretty much had. I didn't have um, anyone who did Donston really. Um. Well, that leads to the question for the for the final paper. Um, did you uh, specifically request that they do a suspect paper? I I left it. I didn't want to um, say specifically one because they would they would always ask me, and I refused to say if I had a person. Or I don't know if you've ever seen. There's a movie called Amazon Women on the Moon. Yeah, where. Has anybody heard of that? Yes. Yes, with with the uh, um, uh, Loch Ness monster, isn't it? With yes. So I, I right. I I show. I told them that I would finally show them who I thought it was, and I showed them a picture of Nessie, yeah, with the <laughs> the cloak and the and the top hat. Um, so I had a couple of people who who turned it around on me and said they weren't really sure either. And they wanted to narrow it down to a few people or maybe even talk about some, I would probably call canonical suspects who they thought weren't. And so I, I wanted them to choose a person, but yes, I couldn't just say that um, if they didn't have a specific person in mind, that they, they then they failed the, pa- the paper. So, well, they, but they um, could have written a paper on like none of the above. Exactly, they, they making, making the case that it's the unknown local man. Yes, as opposed to a named suspect, which would be my <laughs> paper. Okay, okay. as well. And and me too, of course. Um, when you were teaching uh, the course, Levon, um, did you focus on just the canonical five or the McNaughton five, or did you um, expand it um, to the other victims? Uh, in the Whitechapel files, Whitechapel murder file. Yeah, I brought up those. Um, they didn't write about them. I used the canonical ones for them to write their victim papers on. But we did spend time on um, Martha Tabram, on, on uh, Emma Smith, on the um, the the Thames torso murder. Um, in class and talked about them that we didn't write about them but yeah we discussed them and and whether or not they um, belonged or didn't belong and why or why not but yes they a lot of those uh, Alice McKenzie and and Francis Coles and all those sure right and and besides that because um, of course you you discussed the case and and you've told us about um, teaching of the history of the time but um, did you also get into, like, let's say, some of the politics of the time or even the police hierarchy and, and things like that? Or was that just a, too much? We talked a little bit about, I made a point of, of um, talking about Warren's position and, and how um, tenuous it, it was. And especially with, uh, I had to go into the riots from the year before, the Bloody Sunday, because I think it, it is all part and parcel. Um, and uh, also... Um, Anderson flitting off to uh, Switzerland, things like that. Um, but um, that was as much as we got into. We talked more about the the development of the detective division and 
how new this concept was and how uneasy um, I would think Britain was with a police force full stop rather than um, someone people who just detected for a living um, so but that yeah that was as, as far as we got into the specific political situation of the police um, d did you find at the end uh, of the term um, your class uh, or the majority of the 18 students coalesced around a specific suspect or yeah um kosminski and um <laughs> and i i heard on a on a previous po podcast about um and paul paul saying that you know that's he's sort of the um i guess they accepted the number one person now i think the fbi um uh, that mock uh, profile that they did, which which named him, um, helped a lot toward that, though. Um, but Kosminski was by far the the person that most people. Um, Druitt, surprisingly, was pretty close up there as well. I I I didn't expect that. <coughs> um, I think I think what's interesting about Kosminski is that when we were saying that uh, uh, the 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 unknown local man. Uh, Kosminski also has that appeal of, of, of being the unknown local man, but with a name. So he's not, obviously, he's not the unknown local man, but he's just a, an ordinary person living in the area. The chances are that that's what Jack the Ripper is going to have been, because there are very few serial killers in, in the world who turn out to be of any you know, s uh, significance in society. Right. And I'm also... Oh, oh, go ahead, Paul. Sorry, I was just saying, so there is that appeal uh, that, that makes him, but that causes people to home in on him is because he has that... Um, because the, logically, the Jack the Ripper is unlikely to have been uh, somebody of, uh, as I say, of social significance on the, on the basis of uh, what, we've, what we know about serial killers now. Um, most of the films uh, tend to focus on uh, the Masonic conspiracy or the Royal Masonic conspiracy, and and I was wondering, Levon, how your uh, students reacted to that. Did it influence them in any way, or were they able to to see through sort of the fanciful tale? The, I don't think anybody really took that seriously. Um, I had one person, I think, who was um, family involved in the Masonic uh, lodge to this day, so they weren't. Um, happy <laughs> with that connection, but other than that, I especially with the Masonic conspiracy always seeming to touch, no matter how you try to uh, figure out who was or was not actively involved, it always seemed to touch the palace, and uh, most students just dismiss that out of hand because, yeah, of course, it's it's wouldn't it be cool if more than um, using facts to prove the case. Um, in fact, we watched um, Murder by Decree. And that movie, we didn't, in fact, well, I think I stopped, we were pretty close to the end because um, I could sense, and, and after speaking with the students, it, it was true that it just really, really bored them because it, it seemed so more science fiction-y than Time After Time did. Hmm. Mm, How did they take the time after time? Right. Sorry, how, how did sorry? they take... How did they take they really time liked after it. time? Um, 
they it, it and I hadn't watched it in a few years, and, and I was surprised how funny, actually, it was. And they seemed to enjoy it a lot. Um, they, it, it actually... But the, the, the greatest thing, I think, came out of it was their um, comparison between modern-day... Even though it's set in the 70s, they, they could extrapolate up to now. The modern-day yeah. um, and then and Victorian London. And I, it made a lot of them said that they wish there was more set in London to begin with to, to make more of a comparison because I, I had them write the paper when they did their review I wanted them to concentrate on the um, anachronisms of H.G. Uh, Wells trying to fit in and how easily Ripper he fit in to modern day society um, but of course that wasn't the, the agenda of the book but the, they really liked it I think because um, the uh, the disparity between the two cultures is really evident. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I saw it for the first time a couple of weeks ago. Not for the first time, but for the first time in a long time, a few weeks ago. And again, I thought it had it had dated considerably since I'd seen it before, and that yes. surprised me a little bit. Um, uh, but but other than that, the uh, yes, the, that juxtaposition between. The, the famous scene, of course, of uh, where he's flicking through the te television channels, and and right. uh, the Ripper says, you know, back then I was a freak, now I'm an amateur. You know, that kind that still brings brings home the the whole point of the film, I suppose. Mm -hmm. um, now, did you um, teach the class like chronologically? Um, uh, I I assume you may have done that through, you know, s s like starting from the beginning and going all the way through and then I mean how did you organize it as far as with the the murders and then the suspects and or right what I did was um, I I did teach once we got into the crimes I spent a couple of days just going over the crimes uh, um, and not specifically talking about the victims then the next week we got into each individual victim. They did presentations on the victims. And so from then on, it was chronological. Um, Pizer was the first suspect. And then um, there it was. Then the rest of them, I, I let them do, let them choose who they wanted to do. And we, we sort of um, patterned it that way after that. But I thought Pizer was important to be first because that brought up a, a whole lot of other issues. Right. And um, back to the movies real quick. So I, I assume some of the people in your class had seen From Hell before taking the class, just because yes. it has Johnny Depp in it. And, <laughs> and um, what was their reaction to From Hell after, you know, knowing what they learned in, in your class about the royal conspiracy theory? And, you know, did they enjoy From Hell as, as, as well the second time as they may have seen it the first time? Or? Uh, I don't think so. I think they saw a lot of the flaws because we had just done People of the Abyss. And I said the, the most important scene in, in From Hell to me is when the, um, the prostitutes are, are, um, lay, are leaning on the rope at night. Right. And, do you, and, and, they, and it breaks when they're trying to sleep. Yeah. And no one, I, they said they had seen it, and that, that really didn't make much sense to them, but then they just forgot about it. And then after seeing the people of the abyss and how people actually had to pay to have a place on the rope 
to have a place to sleep, um, it brought it home to them. You know, and then the yeah Heather Graham, how she looked, and Johnny Depp, how he looked, and um, the uh, interaction uh, between everyone. It seemed a little a little false to them after yeah after reading more about the case. <coughs> And also seeing how this is... Um, oh, go ahead, Robert. Please. Uh, no, continue your point, because I had a separate issue to talk about. Well, I was going to kind of change it as well. But okay. um, seeing how okay. these, these are American students, what were their reaction to a suspect like Tumblety, who's one of the more colorful of the suspects, uh, but um, they, they, like you said, they coalesce around Kosminski. Right. Um, I, I didn't see, we talked a little bit about um, the American connection and from, I had one person who did tumble tea and then Chapman who um, spent some time here and um, Thomas Neal Cream. And it seemed like the consensus was that America was this, this burgeoning country and sort of the new kid on the block but getting very, very powerful so it was just um, the thing to do to not only accuse upper echelon people in Britain, but also to try to drag an American into it because of the, the uh, potential audience. So I don't think anybody ever took an American seriously as a suspect. Oh, so you, you, they, they kind of recognized it almost like as, as, as another scapegoat for instance, the accusing of a... It can't be a normal Briton who committed this crime. It has to be a Jewish immigrant, or it has to be a, someone from the royal family, or it has to be an American, that kind of angle, huh? Exactly. Hmm, that's and, and especially with um, the newspapers in, in um, New York, especially um, belittling... Uh, because we talked about that, where um, I think in one of the documentaries, the the a New York newspaper says that the the uh, London detectives must be the dumbest on the planet, and um, right. And we, that cut. was the chief of police of New York City had said that if oh, okay. the Ripper had ever come over here, uh, he would be caught in no time. Um, and yeah, Thomas uh, Byrne made that claim. Yeah, and so it seemed like. Blaming Tumblety or any other uh, some or any other person with an American connection seemed like um, a vengeance for that type of attitude. Hmm. All right, Robert. Um, yeah. Um, in in the Ripper field, uh, it's predominantly male, and I was just wondering what the makeup of the class was like in terms of the male female ratio. It was more female than male. I was yeah, <laughs> I was, was interested in that. Yes. And, in fact, the, the two that were already familiar and read a lot about the case were, were women. And, uh, yeah, of course, uh, I, I was um, pretty surprised by that. But that's also good to, good to hear. Yeah, exactly. And I think that, um, which kind of leads back to the, what I look for on their papers, that the more people interested in it and um, what makes a person like that the better, you know, not just a, um, a mystery to be solved or a, um, um, some, a prurient interest in a crime. That, and I think that that's, this is evidence that, that we're getting more of a, um, a cross-section of people interested in the case for whatever reason is, is great. 
Um, Paul, you? Uh, <coughs> the question I was going to ask uh, was just asked. Uh, I was interested in the in the in the breakdown from the uh, the male female area because one of the strange things here is that you know you get these uh, true detective magazines uh, and they they invariably had uh, some half naked woman on the front in in a bondage situation or whatever right uh, and that they they look rather purient um, their biggest readership is is women and uh, they are placed if you go into uh, the, the the bookstores uh, the magazines are those magazines are placed closer to the the women's section of magazines than to the male section, and so it's it's quite interesting that the readership of this stuff is is largely women, and it was thinking about that that got me to to thinking that maybe the one of the things that's behind Jack the Ripper that that's so interesting is because because he was never caught and because of uh, the. Status that he obtained in um, at the time is is this image of the lurker in the shadows, the, as I call him, the this unknown entity, the, the the thing that appears when you were a kid and you went to bed and they put the light out and suddenly between the wardrobe and the wall there was some monster would appear. Um, but Jack the Ripper is is a reality of that, and I and I wondered sometimes whether really people get become interested in this because uh, they, they want to shed some light or get some understanding on that. And, and of course, a, a lot more women would be concerned about, about that sort of thing than, than men would. And so I wondered if there was a sort of subconscious interest uh, in, in reading about these sort of crimes among women, uh, largely as an effort to try and gain some clues as to what sort of person it would be. Right, that is that's a good point in that uh, true crime um, books as well, and and even uh, the, I would venture to guess the demographic of the people who follow modern uh, true crime cases like Scott Peterson here in the United States and stuff like that seem to be predominantly women, I would say. But uh, mm. but um, on the other hand, you're right in that. Um, and I mean Robert's points well made also that um, on the flip side of that you you have um, this uh, this almost a stereotype I would guess of the Ripper community being a male-dominated community and oh we're only interested in this case because it involves lurid you know prostitutes and you know serial killers or um, a, a, a male fixation, which is, I think, a myth. So, yeah, I think it's kind of circular reasoning because uh, it's it, it was only uh, you know not get too much um, into sounding sexist, but I think it was it's just more accepted for men to be interested in this sort of thing where people roll their eyes. Well, yeah, you would be interested in that. Um, so if women seemed to be uh, they were conditioned i guess or it was just wasn't as socially acceptable to be interested in something like this of course one of the things that uh, that you've got is that virtually all the well i don't use the word best but but leading crime fiction writers uh tend to be women yes uh, and uh, i know you uh, hard boiled crime tends to be written by, by men predominantly 
but um, crime, most, most of the, the, the great literary detectives, Conan Doyle being an exception, of course, and Sherlock Holmes, but most of the, the great literary detectives or, or crime investigators tend to be created by women, which is interesting. And um, um, that oh, go ahead, Robert. Well, let me let me finish this one point, sure. and, and that leads me to this, this kind of the surprise in the, how uh, readily your idea of teaching a class on Jack the Ripper was accepted by your university, which is a private, if I'm correct, a private Christian college. Or um, it it had Episcopalian roots, but um, those roots are grown over. <laughs> it's now more of like a liberal arts school. Yes. Right, it's still private, and it has that tradition. We have the Newman Center there, and the um, Sharp Chapel. But um, I've never run into any sort of of um, I don't want to say censorship, but I, yeah, I guess it would be. I've never run into um, what we could or couldn't talk about, could or couldn't teach, could or couldn't say in class. But were were you surprised that that um, that a uh, you know, when you presented this as an idea t- for t- your seminar, um, that it was uh, approved? I was for a couple of reasons. I, I, again, they only, they give it to just a couple of people, and um, I know that um, there are people who are interested, I think, in the history department, interested in the in the era that could have done this. Maybe I, I was really thinking maybe somebody would just take the idea and run with it. Um, and also to, to focus as an English student on more history and a specific case, I was surprised that they, they went for that, sure. Um, but um, we have um, the Darcy O'Brien, the crime writer, was from TU as well. So I think we've got a, a pretty good history of... Um, being steeped in, in true crime culture there. Yeah, I, I and, don't know. Uh, I, what, I, one more. And I don't know um, sure. how, uh, maybe you know, um, how many classes uh, like this are taught around the country. Um, I hear locally at, at uh, Washburn University in Topeka, there's a class that deals in, with late Victorian British history as similar to your class where it's cross-referenced uh, where English students or history students can take it um, as, as one of the requirements and, and um, this professor teaches uh, the Ripper case but um, it, you know that's just a small part of, of a, lar- a larger uh, late Victorian uh, British history class and, and, uh, and the students can choose whether they want to um, do a paper on the Ripper or someone else or something else, a literature of the time or whatever, as an option, but there's not a specific class devoted to the Whitechapel murders for the entire semester. But do you know how, uh, how uh, common or, you know, or how rare your, uh, your class at the University of Tulsa is? I, I think it is pretty rare. I've, I've uh, read, just in research um, on my own, um, I haven't found one specifically devoted to that. You'll always see it as it is part of um, a uh, course. Um, I know usually in a horror course they'll talk about the lodger, then they bring up the Ripper in context with that, or um, it's always yeah a, a small part, nothing completely devoted to um, 
the Ripper. I've seen courses in sociology on serial killers, and they bring him up as well. But I think it is pretty rare. There, there was that anthology of um, critical essays on the case, and I believe um, I don't remember if, if Judith Walkowitz was in there, but there were a couple of people who did contribute to that anthology who had taught classes, but they were both in, in the UK. So I, I don't even know of one here in the United States. All right, Robert, now I'll let you speak. Sorry about <laughs> sure. that. Um, yeah, because I wanted to follow along uh, on that. And I was wondering, like, is this course uh, going to be repeated at uh, the University of Tulsa, or is this just a, a one-off? I hope so. I'm going to, um, as I said, I hope to be done, but you can always come back to teach. I don't know if I'm going to be a, a fellow, which is just postgraduate or postdoctoral. Um, and I am going to propose to try to teach it again in January. It's whether or not I get accepted is, is up to them. But I do want to do it again. I've got, of course, if you've ever taught, you know, um, that's the first time you, you spend most of your time teaching it and going home and figuring out what you could have done better. So if I get to teach it again, I think it would be more fluid. I would love to do it, yes. Paul, now, uh, uh, I was going to ask Paul a question. Uh, maybe you could shed a little bit more light on what what the status of teaching the Ripper case in in the UK universities are. Would you know anything about that? I I don't know anything uh, about it being taught in university. It seems to figure. In fact, I, I mean, I'm not that au fait with it being taught over here at all. Really, um, there were two instances that I've been involved in. Uh, and I believe that it's uh, it is part of the national curriculum uh, in the same loose sense uh, of, of just trying to to use it as a hook to to catch the attention of uh, of children, um, but not the the older students uh, of the eighteen nineteen age group. Um, but how it fits into the national curriculum over here, I'm I'm not entirely sure. I, as I said, I've done a couple of talks um, to. Uh, school children about it, which uh, the, the first one, I, which I did with Keith Skinner, was an absolute nightmare, um, and, and we hated every second of it. We it was divided into four parts, and we died badly in each part. Uh, um, it, we just wanted to get get out. Um, and then I went back and did this uh, another one, and that worked out really well. Uh, and I came away feeling the same kind of feeling that I guess a teacher must feel when, when they've taught the class. Uh, and I came away feeling quite elated because I felt that I'd made a connection. And that was fun. But I don't know, I don't know the extent to which um, it, it figures in education over here. It's, it's, it, I think it, the Ripper itself, I, I don't think Jack the Ripper, who's sort of mere blip, on the radar screen of history, really, and in, and in broad terms, it would, would, wouldn't even merit a footnote. But when you start to look at history in, in greater depth and you start coming down into the, the smaller events of history, then I think Jack the Ripper does become very important because there were so many things happening uh, in, the, uh, in the run-up to the 1880s that that decade was extraordinarily complex with the number of changes that were going on and people weren't used to change back then so the uh, 
um, the impact on them, whether they were aware of it or not, must have been quite quite considerable. They would have seen uh, between 1850 and, and, and 1900, say, they, they would have seen an enormous number of changes. And it was all fairly scary because there were social-related changes in the main. So it's a good, good teaching tool, really. And for uh, English kids, uh, you know, it's already there because from Phil Hutchinson, who's told us that on, on his tours around the East End, he's many of time taken school groups around, and, and he's not the only one. So the history is actually right there. Um, yes, it is. Know. Unfortunately, the, the attitude um, of the council, for one reason or another, is such that now virtually anything that you wanted to see that that reminds you of that period is is now going or or has gone there are very few i mean none of the sites can you go to now and it give you a uh any kind of real sense of the of the period i i'm often very conscious sometimes that i walk down uh somewhere like bucks row for example and uh and i'm not seeing what's there in my mind's eye is the, 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 the photographs that we've all seen but I'm looking at Buckrow as it was in 1888 not as it is now but of course if, you haven't, if you're not immersed in it then you don't do that so you're just walking down a, a boring modern street and uh, Levon you must have um, you had mentioned at the beginning that you I believe you said you tiled your class Jack the Ripper's London so is, so you must uh, that your students must have discovered right away that it was more of a history class and that they were going to be learning the social and political and cultural history of the time um, and not just a class on a serial killer but much more right oh exactly and uh, that's that's why I did that I didn't want to say you know the crimes of Jack the Ripper or um, the case um, because uh, again, I don't think that that would have passed as well. I don't think that that proposal would have passed because um, what about it? I mean, what? Of course, it might be interesting to the students, but uh, they may not have seen the um, educational benefit of that. But by incorporating the context, um, I think is 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 what made it a viable class. And uh, going in. Uh because you've told us about uh, your interest in other Victorian crimes. You, you know, I was wondering if your students shared that or had some knowledge of other Victorian crimes going in. And I'm thinking specifically of high-profile cases like, uh, let's say, the Lizzie Borden case or Florence Maybrick or H.H. H. Holmes or, you know, other things like that. I, I would bring up some people. I don't think that many knew it, who that was. In fact, um, I started to feel... A little old because uh, I, they had to be told who Jeffrey Dahmer was. So, um, wow. Wow. Uh, Jack the Ripper is a name. I think because of that name, they had a sense. Um, what I what I did with the the first class was um, I stood up there and I said, and and I brought some things with me, some props. And uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the um, the the McFarlane doll of Jack the Ripper. Mm. Yes. Um, with um, I don't know if it's the McFarlane or the other one, but it has the the top hat and the not the one where he's looking around the corner, but the other one with the top hat and the the cape and the bag and the knife. And I had that with me, and I asked 
somebody to describe Jack the Ripper to me. And they said the top hat, the cape, the Gladstone bag, the knife. And then I put that up there and they all laughed. And I said, now, we all had a sense when we said Jack the Ripper, everybody thought they knew who he was. But I said, who was he? And they said, he was a doctor, wasn't he? So that was the extent of it. But yeah, talking about H.H. Holmes or even um, Deeming or uh, Thomas Neal Cream, uh, no, they, they weren't aware of that. They are fairly obscure figures, though. <laughs> <laughs> not, well, not to me. <laughs> well, True, no, yes. but I'm, I'm surprised by, by Jeffrey Dahmer because, as you say, it makes you feel very old because you grew up as those things were, or at least I grew up when those things were, were happening, and so you, you, you were aware of them, and they seemed to be part of your, your, um, your being. I had the same sort of experience once where I rather excitedly showed a photograph to somebody of a young Wyatt Earp, which I'd never seen before, and he said, who was Wyatt Earp? And I, and I was growing up in the 1950s with television, Western, Westerns on the television. You couldn't escape knowing who Wyatt Earp was. Right. It's horrifying to find people don't know who these people are. But, but yes, the, the others are fairly, fairly obscure. This well, even, is quite an interesting Right, yeah, exactly. I... I I've really been interested. Um, I, I've even joked about the connection between Lizzie Borden and uh, Emily Dickinson. They seem to have had um, fairly um, similar lives, but what they did with those lives obviously was very different. Well, yes, they, <laughs> but they certainly both learned to express themselves in uh, exactly in, quite, in creative uh, ways. But, uh, the interesting but thing about, about Lizzie Borden, though, is that is that it also focuses on the social, right? Uh, the social thing of, of um, wherever it was that she was when she committed the murders. I can't remember. Falls, uh, 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 Falls that's, Church, that's Massachusetts, or something. Falls Port, yeah, yes. River, or something. Wasn't yeah, it? yes. Because I went around the house I, 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 when I was visiting over there. I, I went to the house where the murders were, were committed, and uh, Falls River. And it was quite. It was. Uh, I was being told about the whole area and and everything, and it was that, that there were great similarities with the Ripper crimes in 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 that in that social context sense, and why right, and you have Gordon made uh, right. You have his uh, or her um, husband or husband her her father being um, so well off and and the family so well known that this is a case that if you know, of course, she was a acquitted but um this is a person who you couldn't believe would commit that kind of crime so mm. yes it was and and but it was, it was quite fascinating and i think the house itself wasn't in the poshest part of falls river either because right. the father was so mean it's a, it's a fan- fantastic yes. house but uh, the, the father was was mean so they so they lived in the in a poorer and rougher area and everything it was it was fascinating but and but getting back to even the the crimes that i thought were um relatively well known here in the united states um in our history were i mean ted bundy a few people knew but if you go back to uh charles starkweather um albert fish people like that uh, nobody um uh, knew who those d- people were did they know of Zodiac? They heard of it, but I think it was the movie that that helped them with that. Mm. Right. 
Well, the Lizzie Borden case is uh, similar to the Ripper case in the, in, just because of the, the avid research that, that goes on both sides of the Atlantic um, to, in, in that crime. And that's all, something I always found interesting was you can have, um, you know, 80% of the public are, uh, believing that she was guilty, but at the same time, you have this, uh, this niche culture of people who, um, who are, you know, are as obsessed with, with uh, the Lizzie Borden case as you'd find in the murders of Jack the Ripper. So it would kind of surprise me that... Um, I mean, now, if they, if they had never heard of people like Henry Lee Lucas or Jeffrey Dahmer, then it wouldn't become as such a surprise. But, but you know, the, the culture of Lizzie Borden is similar to the culture of Jack the Ripper. It is also because, uh, just as I said, when I started reading Robert Block's story um, and not knowing this was a real person when I was 11 or 12, um, that Lizzie Borden took an axe, that, that poem... That that bitter doggerel um, was also it's also incorporated in our American culture and and I'm sure a lot of people are surprised when they find out that it was a real person, as, just as the Ripper seemed to be um, mythical. It was um, interesting. Well, I, oh, go ahead, Paul. Sorry, I was just going to say it was interesting that um, you that in America it seems to be tolerated that. That you can have uh, Lizzie Borden's house, which which is now um, a guest house, so that you can go and stay overnight, uh, bed and breakfast, and uh, and and have uh, Lizzie's room or, or the room where the mother was was found uh, on the floor, and and you can stay there overnight and 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 uh, and eat your dinner and and at the, at the family table and so forth, and then you go out into this little um, guest shop and buy. Hats and badges and mugs and whatever else of souvenir Lizzie Borden souvenirs, uh, and get away with that. Whereas <laughs> all that sort of thing would be horribly frowned on over here. That somebody tries to call their pub the Jack the Ripper, forgetting that there's the literary and and movie version and the kind of fictional character, as well as the the real person. And and you get people campaigning for it to be closed down or for its name to be changed. Right, I, I remember the, what the Ed Gain case in uh, Wisconsin, um, the owner of the farm that he lived at, the day after he was arrested, the, the owner started charging admission for people to come by and just drive by the house. <laughs> so it, it happened fairly quickly, and then it, the, the house mysteriously burned down that weekend. But, yeah. <laughs> but there were instances of, uh, of people here. Um, the, 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 there was a little wax model shop uh, a few doors away from the Working uh, Man's Institute where the inquests were held and the man in this uh, shop sort of dug out a few old wax models and daubed crimson paint over them and, and uh, was pro proclaiming a big advertising banner outside come and see models of, uh, of Jack the Ripper victims of Annie Chapman or whatever. But they were, mm -hmm. and, and there were, there were other... Uh, pavement paintings and uh, drawings and things like this. So people quick off the mark to make money out of out of the Ripper crimes, but it just gets to be more recently we it's 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 kind of disliked and frowned upon. So that even 
people like Philip Hutchinson doing his walks around the East End were saying that you have to be kind of careful because uh, and be aware of of groups of youths or something that are going to pick on you. I've I've heard that, or they get things thrown at them and um, during yes, the river I've never walk. experienced it myself, but uh, but yes. Now this is kind of off the subject, but it's interesting nonetheless. Um, <laughs> um, 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 the, what Paul was saying just then um, is is the is that a a, a, a trait? Because there is this this dichotomy between the U- U.S. Um, seeming to make museums out of their murder sites, as opposed to in the U.K. where where the um, urges to tear them down. Um, now I don't know if. Uh, Places like uh, Crippen's House or Ten Rillington Place, neither of those exist anymore. Correct? I mean, I know the Crippen uh, House doesn't, but uh, no, Ten Rillington Place doesn't either. I don't now, think. were these destroyed uh, um, because of its grisly history, or um, I, you know, I, I really don't know. I, think I a suspect shop, a shopping center went in where Crippen's place uh, used yeah. to stand, but. But and in I, the United I, States, um, you know, we can tour the clutter, or up, up, depending on who owns the house where uh, the clutter family was murdered out in Holcomb, Kansas, the in cold blood murders that Truman Capote wrote about. For a time there, the homeowners uh, would charge you to, uh, and if you wanted to go through the house and look at where all the, um, the victims um, were murdered, you could do that. Um, Sharon Tate's house uh, in um, Los Angeles from the Manson case was uh, there up until about 10 years ago. You couldn't tour it, but you could certainly buy it and live in it. Um, They recently reopened the clock tower at the top of the University of Texas at Austin, where where Charles Whitman um, shot students from. And and then you have the six-floor exhibit in Dealey Plaza, for the Kennedy assassination, so there does, and then the Lizzie Borden house. There does seem to be this well, this trade think, of making a. Go ahead, Robert. Well, I think a lot of it, though, uh, is not necessarily attitude, um, but just density of population. If you look at a city of uh, like London, it's constantly evolving, and and you know they're tearing down older buildings for modern ones, uh, you know because they need to make know, room, sell them, put more people in them. Yeah. Exactly. Um, whereas, um, you know, a lot of the American sites you don't have to do that with unless you're talking about cities that are densely populated, like, let's say, New York City and, and things like that. Uh, I think you'll find that historical crimes in, in any place that is densely populated have mostly been bulldozed or changed over the years. Right, I guess that is true. I think also there's a, another aspect of it that with older crimes, the speed with which the crime became long-term famous as opposed to I mean the Cripping case was famous at the time because of the uh, the chase between Dew uh, going after Cripping across to America and, uh, and and communications were such that that was being reported upon widely in the newspapers but of course the newspapers weren't available on the ship so the, the people on board ship didn't know what was happening and it became it was a celebrated case because of that and afterwards but it took some years I suspect before Crippen because basically the Crippen case was just a sordid domestic murder it, there wasn't anything really remarkable about it and, and it would have taken time for Crippen's name to have gotten up there along with Jack the Ripper as being one of you know the real big time baddies of, uh, of, of true crime 
Uh, things move a lot faster these days, so people, it's it like the, the, the Truman Capote thing, in cold blood, it be, you can understand why people would want to go around and see the site uh, and see where the, the thing had happened, So because it makes it more easier to, to, to relate to what you're reading. And, um, and so they become famous far more quicker these days than they did in the past, or quickly. Right. I um, mean, Robert's point is well taken about just the the need to expand and and put more people in the sites. But I do wonder if if there's a little bit of a uh, American. Um, they you know they always say America has this murder culture, um, uh, which they make to be unique. I don't know if it exceeds any kind of murder culture in Britain, but um, um, and this kind of goes back to the class. Uh, that Levon teaches, and that, and how quickly it was accepted, uh, and it proved to be very popular. People, I mean, maybe even his uh, warning, uh, "You will see mortuary photographs," actually benefited uh, it in filling <laughs> up his seats. Um, and and so, uh, you know, I think there's a, there's a lot of problems that go on. It, it often occurs to me that. People see an opportunity to make uh, to, to publicise the good things. The trouble with the East End is that Jack the Ripper brought in, and still brings in, uh, a huge number of tourists. But for some reason, the the people in charge of the council or whatever uh, seem not to want to to capitalise upon that and use that as a. And, and so they should instead of trying to create a little Jack the Ripper museum that people could go to and, uh, and see exhibits like, like the, the, the Docklands exhibition, but uh, on a permanent scale, uh, and be able to then spin off into the in uh, other things in the East End that are, that are really interesting and worthwhile going to see, they try to suppress the Jack the Ripper thing altogether because it's really tacky and it's not very nice. And, uh, and, uh, and don't utilize it, whereas other people, of course, um, who are a bit more entrepreneurial, don't mind making money out of something that's that's tacky. Will uh, will go ahead and and, and do that. So it, it's it's like going and seeing Dracula museums. Uh, it's it's. I I don't see what's what the difference is in in that, but. People abroad tend to, to do that. There's a bar in Germany, for example, called uh, Jack the Ripper's London London Tavern. Uh, and yet, over here, we can't have Jack the Ripper's pub. Seems without people complaining. Yeah, because the Ten Bells was renamed that for about ten years, wasn't it? From about seventy eight. That's, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Before they had to change I, it back. That's right. I remember it as being the Jack the Ripper. I had a pint of beer in there once. Uh, this is just strange, but don't want to make, don't want to utilise these things and make something out of them. It's almost as if it's not thought to be the done thing. Whereas America seems to make uh, as much as it can out of its history and you know, of, of what's going on, or so it seems to the outsider, anyway. Um, right, um, Levon, you have. Any uh, comment to that? You, well, and I, I was just thinking that H. H. Holmes, the same thing, the the uh, the murder castle in Chicago, the person bought it and started um, selling tickets to it until that got too much. 
So it's true. We do have a we have a tendency to to. Um, I don't know. I don't know if it's just the entrepreneurial spirit overrides any moral concerns right away, or you just do it until somebody kicks you out. I'm not sure there's you know, these moral issues actually come into much because what we're uh, in. It, it always kind of, kind of irritates me a little bit where people say, oh, well, interest in Jack the Ripper is really tacky and it's just encouraging this, that, and the other, and uh, yeah, uh, so forth. And yet we can watch war films and they will write books about the war, and uh, be it the Second World War, the First World War, Vietnam, whatever. And that isn't kind of deemed to be tacky. So you can have uh, kids' comics about... about, about, about G.I. Joe or whatever and, and models and everything and that seems to be perfectly acceptable but to pr produce a, a plague model of Jack yeah I'm, I'm beginning to get to see my own point <laughs> not being made <laughs> producing you know a model of Jack the Ripper for kids to play with yes well that probably isn't a good idea but, but you, <laughs> you know what I mean so I, I'm just uh, it's, it's just it's just strange you know, certain certain aspects of history it's perfectly acceptable we can go around the battlefields where uh, where people were were, were massacred uh, hundreds of years ago and 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 died in most horrific circumstances, um, but we can't go around the sites where some people were were murdered. It seems kind of odd that to me. And and Levon, did you um, encounter any any resistance at all to the idea of teaching your class? Because Paul's point is well made that um, in the Ripper case, um, you get a lot of people criticizing. I mean, songs called Jack the Ripper, bands named after him, T-shirts printed, toys made, movies made. I mean, there does seem to be this kind of uh, um, you know hidden standard that you know oh you you you're exploiting um you know these murders for gain or whatever did you did you run into any resistance at all in, in your idea in teaching the seminar class i i didn't um the other students and the professors that i spoke with they they all sounded they all said it sounded like an interesting class and i really expected on when I made them made the students write on the blog, I expected since it's an open blog, people to write in and say you shouldn't be teaching. I really did expect that, and it had never happened. Of course, I don't know if anybody discovered it, but um, that I, I assumed that there was going to be anonymous feedback because there always is. I've got that on my own personal um, site, but. But no, I, I didn't have anybody tell me that they, they thought it was, was an improper subject. That's good. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Robert? Uh, sure. Uh, a question here to get you out on, Levon. Um, what is your PhD uh, dissertation on, if we um, may ask? Yeah, um, I'm writing about uh, Sigmund Freud's Uncanny in the works of Arthur Conan Doyle. Yeah, that's so what goes, I used so to get. So it goes along with your other Victorian <laughs> interests, though. It it, it, it does, uh, because what I'm really interested in is um, those aberrations, basically, those those sorts of things that that um, 
in a civilized society are not supposed to be there. They're supposed to be somehow eradicated or um, assimilated or um, annihilated. And basically, Ripper was, is, a, is an example of that, where um, if you're talking about what, what a domestic space is supposed to look like, what a city is supposed to look like, yes, we're always going to have poor and the rich, but it's supposed to be civilized, and everybody's supposed to at least um, endeavor to make their own lives better. And when you have something like the Ripper that, that casts light not only on what he did, but um, when George Bernard Shaw is talking about um, uh, the, the solitary genius that Ripper was, and Queen Victoria talking about him, that, that highlights those sorts of um, uncanny aspects of a culture that they'd rather not talk about, but as I said, you know, a lot of things came together to, to make Jack the Ripper just um, unavoidable, in, or at least, you know, where everybody had to hear about him no matter what. And so, yeah, that's, I've always been interested in that. As I said, with my students, they had an idea of what the Victorian era was like, and, I, and it, but they'd always seemed to be divorced from Jack the Ripper. The Victorian era was this nice, everybody was in nice clothes, they rode around on horses, they lived in big estates, but then you have somebody like Jack the Ripper, and trying to get them to reconcile the two, that they both existed at the same time, was is interesting. Yes, there's, there's uh, one of the things that's quite confusing is, is the length of Victoria's reign took you from uh, where everybody dressed like the Pickwick Papers people <laughs> uh, through to the way that they were dressing like Sherlock Holmes. So yes. It went, f did go from, from uh, the, the the Jane Austen type of uh, of era through to, to to the modern era, and quite uh, in 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 one short one person's reign. So it can be quite quite confusing, I imagine, to the outsider to to uh, make the distinctions. Um, alrighty, uh, that makes it about an hour and 20 minutes so i'll go ahead and wrap it up um i want to thank levon Tao for being on the show today thank you and it is uh very interesting hearing about your seminar class i hope that you can repeat it since it's an important aspect of british history i believe that um encompasses many aspects social and political and you know like i said earlier not not just about serial killers <laughs> Right. Uh, and and um, say hello to your students for us as well. I will. Thank you very much. <laughs> and if they're listening, hello out there. <laughs> hope you hope you got an A in the class. <laughs> you have been listening to Rippercast. This was episode 17, The Pupils of the Abyss. Our special guest was Professor Levon Tal from the University of Tulsa in Oklahoma. And we also had Paul Begg in Maidenstone, Kent, Robert McLaughlin in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and I'm Jonathan Mangus. We are a weekly podcast on the Whitechapel murders. You can access us through the iTunes music stores, uh, keyword Jack the Ripper, and click on podcasts where you can subscribe, or you can go to our website www.rippernet.com and email me or anyone else uh, that appears on the show. If you have any questions or comments at w or at uh, rippernet at mac.com. 
and I again thank uh, Professor Tao for being with us today and also Paul and Robert for joining us today and we'll see you next week. <laughs>